Greetings, friends, patriots, and fellow citizens uh, on this Memorial Day weekend edition of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of the We the People Convention, and this podcast and all of our emails and our text messages and our website and the videos we do and all of our expenses uh, that we use uh, to pro promote uh, individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity are paid for by the generous donors to the We the People Convention. And we thank all of you who donate for, for doing that because we know uh, it's a gift of love and it's a support in support of our, our nation. So thank you to all of you. Uh, as I mentioned, this is Memorial Day weekend. And so... Um, you know, that's what we're going to talk about to start the podcast. And then we're going to get into some very, you know, tough things. Uh, I've had a chance, you know, I get the opportunity to wait uh, to look at things uh, as the dust settles after a tragedy like our nation suffered this week before I get to speak. And so uh, I'm going to speak to you about, uh, you know, the tragedy we suffered and, and what needs to be done and, and, and you know, how it affects you and our nation and everyone going forward. But as I said, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is something I'm going to read to you that I have wrote a, a few years back. And if you want to find it, if you go to wethepeopleconvention.org, you can, uh, uh, do the search, uh, eyeglass search icon and just put in Memorial Day. And you'll see this very short piece that I wrote several years ago, but I, I just can't improve upon it. And so I'll read it to you again. Each Memorial Day, I am amazed at how many people confuse it with Veterans Day or simply have no idea what Memorial Day is about. It used to be called Decoration Day. Uh, I, I used to say to people, Happy Memorial Day, but it's not a happy day. It's a solemn day. Memorial Day is the day that we remember and mourn and appreciate those members of the American military who have been killed in combat defending our nation and our freedom over the history of our nation. A few years back, I started putting together this chart and putting it out every Memorial Day, showing the number of American soldiers killed in action defending our freedom in every conflict from the Revolutionary War until present day. The current count, as you can see on your screen, and I'll post this chart at, at the podcast page at wethepeopleconvention.org, is 1,320,225 people, American citizens, members of our military, who died defending our country and our freedom. Uh, this probably doesn't include thousands, if not tens of thousands, of members of the military who died training uh, for battle or in access not directly related to battle. So this is, this is a low number. People react strong when I give up that large number, which I update each year. I find that updating it, uh, updating the list each Memorial Day focuses my attention on the fact that freedom is not free and the fight for freedom never ends and has very serious consequences. It must, uh, it, freedom must be defended every day by every one of us. Too often Americans forget that. Memorial Day is a day to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice to defend freedom. Talk about those relatives and friends you know who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Say their names this weekend. 
uh, talk about their lives and how much of their lives they did not get to live so that we could live our lives in freedom and prosperity. Be sure to tell the children in your circle about these people. Show them pictures. Take them to the cemetery this weekend. Make the effort this Memorial Day to honor these true heroes and patriots as we should. That's what Decoration Day, uh, why Decoration Day came about. Because after the Civil War, uh, it occurred to some people that, uh, and I believe it was a city in Massachusetts, that the veterans were being forgotten. And they decided to have Decoration Day, which later became Memorial Day. And we celebrated ever, you know, and we've, we've not celebrated it. We've, we've, uh, you know, we've spent that day to honor these fallen soldiers, uh, you know, for every day since the, you know, 150 years ago. And so do that, right? It's not, it's not a passive event. It's not a picnic. It's not just friend, friends and family coming over. I, I hope you have that. And I hope you do enjoy the long weekend, but take time to reflect on this solemn day, this solemn weekend, this, you know, this solemn day of Memorial Day. And remember, remember these people who've fallen. Look at this chart carefully and realize that freedom is not free, but now it's our duty to defend it to the end. Okay. As you know, we uh, have been doing this for, you know, for a year practically. Uh, we've been saying a prayer for the January 6th prisoners. And obviously, uh, that prayer list seems to can be expanding as things continue to get worse around us. And this week, uh, you know, the shootings in Texas are such a loss to our nation. And so we must include the families uh, of the fallen, of the, of the 19 children and two teachers who were killed. Uh, you know, we must, uh, you know, just pray for them. We should, you know, we're also going to pray for our, our January 6th prisoners, for the people in Ukraine who are dying by the thousands. And we'll talk more about that. Um, you know, offer up your prayers right now, if you could, for those people who uh, are, are just suffering so much today and ask God to give them strength and to comfort them. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So here they are. This is not all of them. Here's a picture of these innocent children who were gunned down in cold blood. And, um, you know, this is very emotional for all of us. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you can just see that this is just unfair uh, for these people to have their lives snuffed out by a madman. But there are reasons for this, and there are actions we can take. And we need to make sure that we we own up to that and that we take action. Last week, I had done a story by a group uh, here in Ohio called Buckeye Firearms. And, uh, you know, I told you that I have a great respect for Buckeye Firearms. And so I went to their website after the shooting, uh, and they, they had a, a, an article, as I knew they would. But one line from the article stuck out to me that I want to share with you. It said, the only way you get dozens killed and injured is when your only plan 
is to wait for outside help and you don't follow procedures. I thought that was the most profound statement that could have been made uh, in light of this shooting. This nonsense that we have to leave our schools undefended has to end. This nonsense that this is about banning guns and banning assault weapons, we will thoroughly debunk that here, but that's not what this is about, okay? Um, the signs were there, as always. Family members had suspicions. Friends had suspicions. Just like the Buffalo shooter, just like all these shooters, there was there were warning signs. Nobody acted. That's got to end. Um, you know, the bottom line is, this was preventable, and it wasn't prevented. It shouldn't have happened. The evidence now is that a teacher not only opened the door where the shooter came in, but propped it open, a door that's supposed to be locked. Not once, but twice this teacher did this. And I think a metaphor to me for what's wrong here is the whole concept of personal responsibility of us taking action to defend ourselves and our children. So in, in, as we understand it, and this is evolving and there will be more to come, but on this Saturday morning, the 28th of May, 2022, from what I've understood, that the teacher opened the back door and right about when the accident was happening, when the shooter's car got wrecked just outside the school, now, I don't know if the teacher heard that and opened the door or whatever. The teacher then went back in to their classroom, came back out to the door, okay, which was still open, and then went in to get her phone. I assume to call 911. But that's the problem. Instead of acting to protect yourself and the students and closing a security door, they went to get a phone to ask for help. That's never going to work. As it says in the Buckeye Institute's Buckeye uh, you know, uh, Firearms website, the only way to get dozens killed and injured is when your only plan is to wait for outside help. You can't wait. You have to act. They didn't act. The gunman is outside for 12 minutes shooting into the school. So you can't tell me that the teachers didn't know that something was going on. And yet, not only was the door that the shooter came in not locked, but the classrooms that he went into and killed these innocent students was not locked. They just had a drill like three weeks ago or a, you know, a month ago. This is unconscionable. And then the whole thing about the police and they're, they're not getting the message or making the, the wrong decision to not go after the shooter as children lay bleeding in the classroom. Some of them had to be alive. Two children died in ambulances on the way to the hospital. How much better would their chance of survival have been if they would have had treatment and transportation 45 minutes sooner? This doesn't have to happen. This shouldn't have happened. But it did. And we've got to stop it. And so 
this whole idea, you know, and, and I was in an argument with our son. You know, he wants me to, to, you know, to defend assault rifles. I said, this has nothing to do with assault rifles or banning guns. This has to do with mental illness. This has to do with demonizing children. This has to do with antidepressants and drugs. This has to do with, with people in school districts not taking the appropriate actions before shootings and then during shootings. And so it's real simple. We've Everything in our country is locked down now, right? You can't go to a concert. You can't go to a, a, a sporting event. The Supreme Court, the airport, everything is locked down, but not our schools? Really? Really? So here we go. This is what needs to be done. We need single entrance to every school. Uh, Dan Bangino talked about these things called man traps, meaning a doorway where you have to be buzzed into the first door, when you walk into that first door, it closes behind you, and now there's a door in front of you that you have to be buzzed in, so that if you're a shooter or you're a danger, you're trapped in the man door. Those have to be in every school. We need to have uh, these doors. Dan Bugino said when he was doing uh, Secret Service work that, that one of the things they had to do is make big places small. He said, so it, it, when you have these schools with cafeterias and gymnasiums, which are big spaces, but most of the kids are in the, the wings where the classrooms are, you need to have these rolled down steel doors that are shut during class times so that no shooter, if they get into the gym or the cafeteria, can get to the classroom areas. You need to have hardened doors which apparently there were in this school because the police apparently couldn't shoot their way in. They had to get a key from the janitor. Every school's classroom needs to have that. And then the, the surveillance cameras and all, all that. But, but most of all, it's we're done. We're done talking. We need to have armed security in every school. Period. And as you'll see later, or you won't see this part, but President Trump actually talked about the NRA convention that he was told that none of these mass shootings happen in urban schools. You know why? Because the urban schools have had paid security guards for years. They have, they have uh, you know, uh, x-ray machines. When you come in, you can't get into the school. That's why they don't have these shootings. That's the answer you're seeking. But instead, you're being distracted. And I got an email from one of our members, and, and they were talking about how their friends are asking her to defend guns, and, and, and they're being asked to defend guns. And I said, we need to stop defending our position and go on offense. So tell your friends that the war on by boys by the communist left is totally responsible for destroying the mental health of these young men and for their actions. The left owns this, not us, not gun owners, not the right. The left's indoctrination about toxic masculinity tells boys from a very young age that they are bad simply because they're boys. They, those shoot, these shootings are a reaction to that indoctrination. The left's attack on the traditional family has intentionally denied boys good male role models, which is why you have the carnage in the black community that the left never wants you to talk about. Talk about it. 
The left's throwing religious studies out of schools has denied these boys, these shooters, a foundation of values that would explain how to act and how to respect life so they would not be forced to act out with violence. This is important. The drugging of boys who are intentionally misdiagnosed as ADD, but are in fact acting just like boys should, is responsible for the confusion in many boys that results in violence. The Luff loves to tell them that being a boy is evil. So why should be we be surprised when boys act evil? How confusing must it be to young boys to face the less forcing of total insane trans agenda and homosexual agenda on boys when trans isn't even scientifically possible? What could be more evil and more psychologically damaging to young, impressionable children than to push the idea that their body and their behavior is a lie and that they should not believe their eyes and their feelings, but believe these evil adults who want them to question the very essence of who they are? This is not about guns. This has nothing to do with guns. This has to do with the war on boys and men in our society that the communist left has been waging to weaken our society for the past 50 years. It's right in front of you every day, in every TV commercial, in every TV show, in every movie where the men, particularly white men, are portrayed as weak, stupid, incompetent, lying, cheating, unfaithful idiots compared to women and particularly gays who are always portrayed as examples of acceptable behavior when their behavior is not. That is why these shootings happen, and they will not stop until we as a society stop the psychological warfare that is being waged against boys and men every day. That's what this is about. The left owns this. This is not about guns. You need to make that point. And I have one more thing that I want to say about this. And that is the education system, the public education system. If you look at superintendents and principals and assistant principals at most of the schools in this country, they are the highest paid people in that community, bar none. These people were making $130,000, $140,000, a year in communities where the average household income is $40,000 a year. Why aren't they responsible for the safety of our children? If you are running a manufacturing plant, you may not have a degree in health or science or security, but you sure are going to make sure that you're not poisoning or having you know, employees in danger because of things at the plant. You're going to take safety measures. You're going to follow OSHA. If you're in a food processing plant, you, the management, are going to make sure the food doesn't get poisoned. We need to hold these school administrators accountable. They're complicit. They're negligent. If you were going to tell superintendents across this country that if a mass shooting takes place in your school system, you will be legally held accountable, there would be no mass shootings. They would harden this their schools. They would, they would take whatever money they had and make sure that that was done. But they get off scot-free like they have nothing to do with it. What are you talking about? And, and this teacher 
Who left the door open? How is she going to live with herself for the rest of her life? And the police and all the rest of them. This is horrifying. And, it, and it's just really, you know, a matter of you, you can't just give people a pass when they don't follow procedures and your child gets killed. Look at these faces. They did not deserve to die. They were on cell phones calling the police, begging them to come in, and they didn't come in. They were bleeding to death on the floor. So you want to do something? That's what should be done. Now, I don't know if you got to see President Trump's speech at the NRA convention yesterday, Friday, the 27th. It's at the wethepeopleconvention.org on our uh, video section. Just go to wethepeopleconvention.org and you can watch the whole thing. But I took this three, four-minute clip out because he did a great job. And so here he is telling you pretty much what I said about what needs to happen. ...violent and mentally disturbed young men. Well, we don't yet know enough about this week's killing, we know there are many things we must do. We need to drastically change our approach to mental health. There are always so many warning signs. Almost all of these disfigured minds share the same profile. When people see something, whether on social media or in school, they need to say something. Teachers, parents, school officials, and community members need to be recognizing and addressing these alarm bells promptly and very, very aggressively. And our school discipline systems, instead of making excuses and continually turning a blind eye, need to confront bad behavior head-on and quickly. And clearly, we need to make it far easier to confine the violent and mentally deranged into mental institutions. We have also, very importantly, got to deal with the problem of broken families because no law can cure the effects of a broken home. There is no substitute for a strong mom and a great dad. But while we work to address these deep, complicated issues and deal with this scourge, all of us must unite, Republican and Democrat, in every state and at every level of government, to finally harden our schools and protect our children. What we need now is a top-to-bottom security overhaul at schools all across our country. Every building should have a single point of entry. There should be strong exterior fencing, metal detectors, and the use of new technology to make sure that no unauthorized individual can ever enter the school with a weapon. No one should ever be able to get anywhere near a classroom until they have been checked, scanned, screened, and fully approved. 
So important. In addition, classroom doors should be hardened to make them lockable from the inside and closed to intruders from the outside. And above all, from this day forward, every school in America should have a police officer or an armed resource officer on duty at all times. Moreover, at every police department in America, we need a rigorous training on active shooter protocols to immediately locate and eliminate the target. <laughs> Took too long. And we need to expand funding, recruiting, and training for police departments nationwide. This is not a matter of money. This is a matter of will. If the United States has $40 billion to send to Ukraine, we should be able to do whatever it takes to keep our children safe at home. So there you have President Trump doing a great job. Yeah, that's the, that's the speech to the nation that Obama can't make. What a contrast between presidents, right? But... Uh, but he said important things. And now we have no excuse. None. This should be happening today. As he said, the COVID money, today, the federal government should say that COVID money goes to schools to do these things, right? Single entrance. You've got to have a paid security guard. You've got to have hardened doors, right? You've got to, you know, X, Y, Z. These things have to be in place. And you don't get that money until it's in place and the federal government's going to make sure that by this school year, that's all in place. It's not hard, folks. We're Americans. We're not victims. We're heroes. We solve problems, okay? We're not victims, but they want you to be a victim. They want these students to be a victim. They want everybody to be a victim. The teachers, the superintendents, they'll... Be held accountable. And so, you know, there's all kinds of other things that are involved here. And, you know, and, and as you look at the shooters from Buffalo and, and Texas, they look like the same person. The characteristics, are they're so similar. Okay? And, and it's just, it's not like we don't know what's going on. It's just that we won't take the action because it's all being a distraction about, you know, let's, let's argue about gun bans. That's not the issue. Now, there is an issue that I brought up, and if you get our emails or text messages, you would have got this yesterday. I think this is an important story. It says, it's past time to figure out what role antidepressants play in these mass shootings. All right? And this is an article that's at wethepeopleconvention.org, and it was from Red State, uh, which is a great website, Red State. Mass shootings in the United States have increased dramatically over the last few decades. Guess what else has soared in the last few decades? The use of antidepressant medication, especially SSRIs. It was in 1987, the first selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that's what SSRI stands for, commonly known as SSRI, was developed and quickly became the standard. You probably have heard its name, Prozac. Other SSRIs were soon produced, and SSRIs are now the most prescribed antidepressant in the United States. 
The drugs are fairly effective, depending on who you ask, at treating depression, and many users report remarkable improvements in their mental health. That's like a lot of prescriptions, right? A lot of prescription medications help the vast majority of people, but there are people it doesn't help. This could be really serious in this situation. But there's another side to these drugs, one that must be taken into account. Read the potential side effects that the FDA requires to be printed on the label of every antidepressant. Side effects, anxiety, agitation, panic attacks, insomnia, irritability, hostility, aggressiveness. Okay? Now, that's the FDA label, all right? And we all know that the warning labels on any medication will scare the heck out of you, right? The National Institute of Health, the NIH, way back in 2006, studied the SSR violence link in judicial outcomes and came to this conclusion. <clears throat> Both clinical trial and pharmacological vigilance data point to possible links between these drugs and violent behavior. A more recent Swedish report from 2020 made a similar conclusion. This work shows that SSRI treatment appears to be associated with an increased risk for violent criminality in adults as well as adolescents, though the risk appears restricted to a small group of individuals. Previous work has found an association between SSRI use and violence in young individuals, but not in adults. Ours is a much bigger study, which allows us to confirm that there is an association in adults as well. Okay? Perhaps the most serious effect could be emotional blunting or detachment that has been linked to SSRI use. Some people who have taken the drugs report not feeling or caring about anything. Not feeling and not caring could explain how these mass shooters have the capacity to engage in horrific, evil conduct that most of us can't even fathom. That sounds like the shooter in Texas, right? He, he's in the classroom, and the one student yelled, help, because he, they heard the police say, you know, if you're okay, you need help, yell help. And the student yelled, help, and he went over and shot him. That's cold. How could that 18-year-old be that cold? Substack author Alex Berenson argues for another cause. Marijuana, cannabis. He notes how the Uvalde shooter was a known marijuana user, as was the Parkland shooter, the Texas church killer, and the Waukesha Christmas Parade murderer. I would further agree, argue, the author of this article says, it is likely that some, if not all, these killers are also on other medications too, including SSRIs, and that the ensuing toxic cocktail contributed to their psychosis. An article from Thought Catalog claims that 37 notorious recent mass killers were either on medication at the time of their crimes or had recently gone off their meds. In another study, Dr. Roger McFillin says, a frightening paper examining the role of antidepressants induced homicides and suicides. This is a call to action for every medical professional to understand these risks for all politicians and law enforcement to investigate the role of these drugs in mass shootings. Have we done that? Have we done that? Now, again, these shootings are very rare, and these studies say that it causes violence in a very small group of people that get these drugs. 
Have we done studies to look at their DNA and other characteristics to see if we can figure out which people are getting antidepressants? Are, are you likely to act this way? I think we should. Where's the talk about that? You can get this article at wethepeopleconvention.org and, and click on the links to these studies. And particularly that one about the, the thought catalog where there's he has 37 notorious recent mass killers where he actually takes it case by case and shows you what these mass killers were doing. That's the kind of stuff we need. What we don't need is this nonsense. Let's ban guns. Here's the facts, folks. It's real simple. And you don't have to defend anything because it's already been done. Between 1994 and 2004, the federal government banned the manufacture, sale, or transfer of what they defined as all assault weapons and large capacity magazines, of which this killer in Texas had like 56 of them with him. A subsequent Department of Justice study found no evidence that the ban had any effect on gun violence and stated that, should it be renewed, the ban's effect on gun violence are likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measurement. That's the DOJ study. A recent study published in 2019 in the Journal of General Internal Medicine examined state gun control policies and found no statistical significant relationship between assault weapons or large capacity magazine bans and homicide rates. A journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, study came to the same conclusion. It's not about guns. It's about our society. That's what it's about. It's about you and I. When President Trump said, when you see something, do something. Take personal responsibility. Don't dial 911 first. Act first to protect yourself and those who you're responsible for. We'll see how this evolves, but it certainly has been a bad week and a terrible thing. So here's a, but here's, here's a perspective. We always talk about keeping things in perspective. Here's the near mass shooting most of the media won't tell you about. This story came out and I saw it this week and there was no reporting of it until like yesterday, Friday afternoon late or this morning. Okay. This is a real story. This is from May 27th this week. A woman with a concealed handgun uh, permit stopped a mass shooting this week after a man attacked a graduation party in Charleston, West Virginia. Police said a woman who was lawfully carrying a pistol shot and killed a man who began shooting at a crowd of people Wednesday night in Charleston. Location Fox 11 reported about the incident. Dennis Butler was killed after allegedly shooting at dozens of people attending a graduation party near the Vista View apartment complex. No injuries were reported from those at the party. Investigators said Butler was warned about speeding in the area with children present before he left. He later returned with an AR-15 rifle and style firearm and began firing into the crowd before he was shot and killed. Police described the woman as running toward a threat and saving lives. That's personal responsibility. So when I was arguing with my son and trying to explain to him this is not about guns and that guns save lives, I went and looked at some of the research that you may not know, but many of you know this. We've been through this so much. And again, I'm not defending our position. 
We have nothing to defend against. It's their fault. It's the left's fault. They've created these kids, right? As, as Governor Abbott said, you know, there, there's been more people with guns in Texas for a hundred and some years. Why are there more killings when there were more guns before? It's because of society, not because of guns, okay? But here's what the studies tell me, that every day, 4,500 times a day, someone in America draws a gun in self-defense. That 800 times a day, shots are fired, which means they think their lives in danger, like this woman in West Virginia. Their lives were in danger. And here's the other side of that. Only one person is killed out of those 800 shots fired, or 800 incidents where shots are fired. Certainly were probably more shots than that. Only one person killed today. Guns save lives, not take lives. Those are the facts. And it's time that we save lives of the innocents by stopping the bad guys with guns with good guys with guns and teachers and everyone else with guns. That's how you fix it. Not by taking guns away, but by putting more guns out there. All right. On to the war in Ukraine. I'll be very brief. This is a map of where things stand. It's real simple, folks. Russia is winning. And every day this war continues, they win more. When, when people are, are urging Ukraine to fight to the death, that's exactly what they're getting, death. This, you know, this thing should have come to an end months ago. But every day that the West pushes Ukraine to keep fighting and gives them ammo to keep fighting, the Russians are taking more and more cities. And you can see all throughout the, uh, you know, the eastern part of the country how the Russians are taking more and more territory. All right. But I want to talk to you about how we're being gaslighted and lied about this because it, it's just, it's just propaganda. And, and I tell you on this show, we're about going through the quote unquote news and getting rid of the propaganda and coming to the facts that affect you. Okay. That's what we just did in the last story. That's what we just did about Memorial Day. Right. So you understand things. So here's a story this week. Okay. This is from May 26. Ukraine civilian casualties rise to 8,462, urging UK ambassadors emotional plea. The rise of Ukraine's civil casualties seen in the ongoing war with Russia urged Neil Bush, head of the UK delegation to the uh, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, to give an emotional speech on Thursday, May 26. Okay? This is two days ago. The UK ambassador plea given in response to the rising toll of Ukrainian civilian casualties as reported by the UK government stated, the people of Ukraine have now endured three months of suffering at the hands of the Russian government and the Russian military following the latest invasion. As of Monday, the Office of UN High Commissioners for Human Rights uh, recorded 8,000 462 civilian casualties, of which nearly 4,000 are fatalities. The true figure is likely to be significantly higher and rises every day. Said this government propagandist, Neil, whatever his name was, yeah, Neil uh, uh, Bush, to this crowd, and he's saying this is as of Monday of this week. 
Well, how can there only be 8,462 civilian casualties for the whole war, of which 4,000 are fatalities, when the mayor of Mariupol just said this week that the casualties in that one city were 20,000 civilians dead? 20,000 civilians dead! The mayor and the mayor of this other city, it's got this really long name, Severodonetsky, okay, it's actually on the map. You can see the name of this city on the map. It's in this red area, okay? The mayor there said that just this week, 1,500 civilians in his city were killed. So that's 21,500, and this British diplomat is trying to tell the people of England that... 4,000 are dead. Ladies and gentlemen, there's at least 100,000 dead. And we're killing them by urging them to fight a war they can't win. We're killing them. As Russian military operations faltered in the first weeks of the invasion, said Bush, we saw the indiscriminate and widespread use of weapons in civilian areas. In the Chernev region, north of Kiev, an estimated 3,500 buildings were destroyed or damaged during Russia's abandoned advance toward Kiev. 80% of those were residential buildings. What? In his own speech, he's saying that 3,500 buildings which were destroyed, most of which were residential buildings, 3,500 buildings are destroyed and only 4,000 people are killed? What? Stop the lies. Stop the war. Stop the killing. This isn't about Ukraine fighting for freedom. This is about Washington, D.C. wanting to fund the military-industrial complex. This is about taking $40 billion of your money and shipping it overseas on a war that can't be won instead of taking care of business at home. Stopping inflation, stopping the gas prices, protecting our children, closing the border. They aren't doing any of that. But they are doing this. We, you know, before I go to this, uh, this video I put out this week, and boy, did you guys like this. This was Bill Mayer, who's on HBO. He's a lefty comedian, but he's been saying a lot of conservative things left, lately. If you haven't watched this video, you've got to go to wethepeopleconvention.org and go into the video section. It's the second video after President Trump's video where he just goes off on how the, the, the gay LBGTQ stuff is just insane. It's hilarious, but oh so true. And I know you loved it because when I texted it out and emailed it out this week, literally it was shared tens of thousands of times by you. Go to wethepeopleconvention.org and watch this video. It's about nine minutes, but it's priceless. And use the share buttons on that page to share the link to this video via email or text or social media with family and friends because it just calls out the LGBT stuff as the fraud that it is. Total fraud. It's a beautiful piece. But that doesn't stop the, the lefties, the commies, from working to destroy our country and mostly to destroy our country by destroying our kids. So I put this story out. Biden says school children will be denied lunch if they don't accept the trans agenda. Read it again. That's what it says. That's what this story is about. Listen to this. 
K-12 schools must allow boys into girls' private areas to obtain federal funds for lunches, breakfasts, and snacks, the Biden administration announced this month. The U.S. Department of Education spokesman told the Federalists the Biden administration's press release from several agencies announcing this policy will, follow, uh, will be followed by formal rulemaking in June. It seems to be playing politics with feeding poor kids, which is really unfortunate, said John Eskeler, executive director of the Indiana Non-Public Education Association, said via phone amid weeks of attempting to sort out these new demands with government officials on behalf of private schools and estates. Because if a school feels like they cannot participate because it is in conflict with their mission uh, and values, if a religious exemption is not granted, you're taking away a program that's feeding low-income kids. Before many schools shut down in response to COVID-19, the National School Lunch Program fed nearly 30 million school kids every school day in approximately 100,000 public and private schools. Under this new demand establishment, the, under this new demand, establishments that accept any federal food funding, including food stamps, must allow males who claim to be females to access female private spaces such as showers, bathrooms, and sleeping areas. Such organizations must also follow protocols such as requiring staff to use inaccurate pronouns to describe transgender people and allowing male staff to dress as women while on the job. Religious institutions, okay, however, qualify for a waiver exempting from these requirements, said Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Greg Baylor in an interview Monday. According to 1972 Title IX law, he said, religious institutions don't have to file any paperwork to be exempt, although they can if they wish. But he said, however, that publicly affirming a commitment to sexual reality by seeking an exemption acknowledgement from federal agencies may assist extremist pressure campaigns to implement this type of activity. Okay? So they're going to say, we're going to starve your kids if you don't accept the trans agenda. And you've got to make sure your kids are protected. <laughs> Want another reason to leave the public schools? How about that for one? Right? And because these are the people who are, are doing this. Okay? This is the, this is the, the kind of people that are, the Biden regime is relying on. Watch this. What do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Okay. Um, do, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. 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 How nuts are you? How indoctrinated are you? This person is the executive director of a, a, a nonprofit. That senator should have picked up his phone and called 911 and said, we have a mentally ill person here who needs help. You need to come and take her away. That's how sick these people are. These are the same people who want to abort babies after they're born, which is called murder. That's how sick they are. That's what we're fighting. But that's what they're pushing on your children. And here's a story about 4-H clubs. Gender identity movement has effectively banned Christian kids from taxpayer-funded places. The left's intent on sexualizing children and forcing the gender identity narrative on them has been effective in essentially banning Christian children from attending public summer camps, swimming in public pools, and visiting public libraries, a report says. 
All who believe in protecting children from marinating in sexual imagery and ideas everywhere they go are the new underclass in our political regime, Joy Pullman, Executive Director of the Federalist, wrote on May 23rd. Pullman, the mother of six children, noted that she has received an email from 4-H clubs, which touts itself as America's largest youth development organization, effectively communicating that my Christian family need not apply to summer camps and other activities sponsored by the quasi-public organization. It's quasi-public because county governments offer sponsored 4-H activities, meaning you, the taxpayer, pay for 4-H through your county government. We're going to talk about that in a second. This email was signed by a 4-H staffer who put pronouns in his signature and told me, youth are assigned cabins based on gender indicated on the 4-H camp application and registration, suggesting children were groomed by gender identity rather than sex. It is not just about transgender issues, but also about exposing children to sexual information and pressures far earlier than they are ready, Pullman wrote. Hand in hand with grouping children by gender identity is forcing conversations about what that means, which pushes children earlier uh, and earlier to declare and, and investigate sexual behaviors. This is destabilizing their identity, not affirming it. Given 4-H's national commitment to diversity, equality, excuse me, diversity, equity, and an inclusion ideology, this has ruined not just 4-H camps, but libraries, right? The same stuff's going on in libraries. So our question is, what are the counties doing funding this? And so on this show, if you're new to this podcast, we, we don't just talk. It's, I, I'm here to inform you, not to entertain you. But I'm also here to suggest actions. I'm asking all of you who watch this podcast to make a point this coming week to contact your county commissioners and to ask them if they have investigated the 4-H clubs in your county and whether they are implementing this diversity, equity, and inclusion, the die you know, idea about imposing this trans agenda on children in your county. And if they find out that that's true, why aren't they withdrawing funding? Why don't they demand that the people who are pushing this narrative that has no place in 4-H on children, why aren't they fired? That's my ask for you this week. Okay? Will you do that? Will you call your county commissioners, write to them, go see them in person, call the 4-H clubs, and ask them if they support this. I'm going to put this article on our website in the podcast section, and you can look at it, okay? And you can print it out, and you can give it to them. And ask if they're doing it, and if they're doing it, ask, why are we funding this nonsense? I think that's something we can do. I know that's something you can do, and I'm asking you to do it. Okay, I have one more story before um, we get to the, the break, and this is a great story. Breaking, Indiana State Senate overturns governor's veto, bans biological males from competing in women's sports. Indianapolis, Indiana lawmakers voted this Tuesday to override Republican Governor Eric Holcomb's veto of a bill banning males from girls' sports, making the state the 17th to enact legislation protecting sports from LGBT ideology. 
HEA 1041, which Holcomb vetoed in March, requires public and private schools to expressly designate sports as either for boys or girls and prohibits males based on sex in accordance with genetics and reproductive biology from joining girls' teams. Not just what's on your birth certificate, because there's now laws that will let you change that, but it's saying based on genetics and reproductive biology. Okay? Under the bill, female students and their parents can sue schools over lost athletic opportunities or other harm suffered due to having to compete against boys. The Indiana House voted 67 to 28 to override Holcomb's veto, and the Senate backed that override up in a 32-15 vote. Four Republicans in the state Senate and three in the House voted to uphold the veto. Cowards, they need to be voted out of office this year, okay? The American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana immediately filed this lawsuit challenging the law, which takes effect July 1, according to NBC. However, just two of the more than 17 state laws enacted in recent years to protect women's sports from gender-confused males have been blocked by the courts. Seven other states with GOP-led legislators uh, legislatures have approved similar laws this year, including South Dakota, Iowa, Utah, Arizona, Kentucky, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Earlier this month, a Georgia Athletic Association of more than 400 schools banned students from competing based on gender identity. Recent polling shows that solid majorities of swing state voters support laws to safeguard single-sex sports at the K-12 and collegiate levels. Way to go. If your state wasn't on that list, why not? Where are you, Ohio? Where are you, you cowardly, non-Republican rhinos? Where are you? Defend women. Defend our young girls. Pass these laws. Great job, Indiana. And again, you folks in Indiana who listen to this podcast, write to those people. Write to your senator and your house member and thank them. Thank them for protecting your children and our children. Okay? Make sure you say thank you. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the podcast. We'll be back for the second half. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast, and my name is Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. When you're playing a video, including our podcast, you'll see this little cloud button, and if you click it, it'll actually download the, po- the video to your hard disk. And this works on our podcast page as well. If, you, if you're playing our podcast, and it's going to be loud, so I won't play it for much, but there's our podcast playing, and you can see this little you know, download button. Okay. The other thing you got to notice on our podcast page is that there's a link here where you can send me a message about this podcast. Hey, it was great. Hey, I didn't like it. What, you know, something was wrong or here's a correction, that kind of thing. You can use that link. And then these are the stories that I covered in this particular podcast. And you'll see there's links that go to the stories that to the articles that I used in reporting on that. So you can, you can click on that. 
Um, you'll also see that um, you can sign up for our emails and text messages, but you can also watch our podcast on Roku TV and on Amazon Fire TV. And these are the instructions for doing that. So this is all on our, our podcast page, right? Right on the front page where the yellow button was. So if you click there, you know, this is our podcast page. These are the instructions for watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire. And I watch our podcast on TV. It just feels more comfortable. Uh, so you can do that. We're also on Rumble. Uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, you should join Rumble. Uh, and, you know, it's Tom Z at WTPC. You'll see our podcast there. So you can get us a lot of different ways, including on Apple iTunes. And then this is an audio uh, version of our podcast. If you click here, it'll just play the audio of the podcast. It will not, uh, you know, uh, you know, show you the video. So people can, you know, listen to that while they're jogging or, you know, working out, working in the yard or just relaxing and just want to listen to the audio and not watch the video. And again, this is available on phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your computer, any way you want. And you can share, you know, this, this, you know, whatever you see, if you're on a page that you, you know, you really like and you know, you see an article that you think, geez, I've got to share this article, you know, with uh, someone in my family. You can send them an email by clicking on the little envelope. You can uh, post it on Parler or MeWe. If you click on this, you get all kinds of options, you know, where you can put it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, which we don't support, but uh, you can do whatever you want. So, so we ask that you share what uh, you see on our We the People convention site and that um, you get more people to look at it because uh, that's the whole idea here to help uh, educate people inform them and then as I said uh, before link we're not just about talk we're about action and in my podcast every week uh, which is published every Saturday so if you, you know the new podcast usually comes out every Saturday and in that podcast I will ask you to do certain things that will help protect and defend your individual freedom liberty and prosperity so that's the We The People Convention website. Come back often, use it uh, to be informed, be informed, and uh, share it with others. Thanks a lot. All right, welcome back to the second half of the show. We appreciate you watching the first half. We certainly appreciate those of you who donate to help support our efforts at wethepeopleconvention.org. Uh, but I also know that it's tough to do that. Things are getting really tough. Gas prices, food prices are really up. So those of you who can't give, don't feel bad. That you know, it's 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 not just giving that we're about. It's about acting. And those who give, I know you also act when you give. You know, and and so I've asked you like about the 4-H clubs to talk to your county commissioners, and and so that's important. That's helping. We have members in all 50 states. What you're doing is helping to defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. It works. And I'm going to show you in the second half of the show examples of how we're fighting back and winning. Okay. But like I showed you in my Memorial Day statement, you know, the reality is Memorial Day reminds us that the fight for freedom never ends. And now we must fight that fight, right? We must, we must do our part. And I know you do. And that's why you watch this podcast. And I appreciate you sharing with others and I appreciate you watching it. Okay. But um, thanks for, you know, for all that you do, whether it's giving or acting, you know, mostly for sharing and, and, and helping people be informed because we talk about, we're, we're about getting rid of the propaganda, giving you news that matters to you, that affects you, 
right? And then acting on that. And that's what we're going to continue to do because that's how you win, by knowing the truth and then taking action based on that truth. So, you know, again, knowing, you know, what's going wrong and, and how it affects you, you know, this is important. This affects you. GDP figures revised downward. U.S. economy shrinks 1.5% in first quarter. Things are getting much worse. Well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean, right? A lot of people don't understand what GDP is. Now, the gross domestic product is a dollar value of all goods and services produced in the economy. That's all our efforts, whether you work at Wendy's or you work at a nuclear power plant or you work for the government, it's our efforts for the dollar value of all goods and services produced in the economy minus the dollar value of goods and services we import, okay, because we don't produce those. The, the percentage discussed are percentages of change over time. So our economy shrunk 1.5% in the first quarter. Well, what does that mean to you? Okay. Well, you know, the Biden economic policy is literally draining our savings and bank accounts and increasing our personal debt as we struggle to survive. Because of inflation, the money you have is worth less, like 10% less. If you had a hundred dollars, Okay, last year, that's only going to buy $90 worth of goods this year. You lost $10 if you spend that $100, okay? And, and the, the GDP report shows that disposable personal income, which is the money you have after buying the things you need, like gas, electricity, okay? After that is your disposable income. It drops 6.7%. In one quarter, that's a big difference, right? I mean, that's a big difference. If, if for a thousand dollars, that's like sixty dollars and seventy cents. So if if, if you make five thousand dollars a month, that's like three hundred dollars that you don't have to spend. It's hurting you. The economic conditions are mostly driven by energy policy. U.S. energy policy underlines almost all economic activities and touches every facet of our lives as consumers. You cannot change U.S. energy policy so drastically without changing every single economic aspect which is connected to energy policy. Okay? So this goes back to last week where I showed you uh, the video of the senator holding the interior uh, uh, person, spokesperson for the interior department and saying, you're not trying to alleviate the gas price issue. You're not trying to increase American energy uh, uh, resources. And he, and he showed three things that have been done in the last two weeks to stop getting oil and gas out of the ground. This is intentional. The left has always wanted $10 a gallon gasoline so that you can't drive your gas-powered vehicle because then, then if they got to charge you $10 uh, for whatever it is, a kilowatt or something, for your energy, you'll agree to do it. You'll buy the green energy, which is, again, we were paying $1.87 under Trump for gas. They want $10 a gallon. You wouldn't do that voluntarily, but if you they make you, you might. That's what they're trying to do. The problem is they didn't understand, because they're idiots, they're ideologues, these failed policies, that when they put one point whatever trillion into COVID last year, which we talked about with the shooters and that that money should be to fix the schools now, 
that that money didn't buy anything. It created inflation. And so now they're getting all this pushback because of their policies. The baby uh, formula shortage, that was no accident. The federal government is responsible for that. Don't tell me we can't make baby formula in America and it wouldn't be a priority. But these commies in the U.S. government, not our government, this is not our government. They, there's nobody representing you and I in this government. The commies in this U.S. government, are if they will starve babies, right? What won't they do? If they will abort babies a month after they're born, what won't they do? That's why we must stop him. But you need to understand, we are stopping him. We can fight this fight, right? No, it's not easy. I, I showed you Memorial Day, you know? Freedom's not free. There's a price to be paid. They're making us pay it. But we can't give in. We got to keep fighting back. Okay? And we are. And we're starting to see the tide turn. Here's a story I put out this week about Netflix. Is the Netflix memo to the woke employees the beginning of the end for cancel culture? This story is at wethepeopleconvention.org. All right? And in the story, uh, this Christian Toto from Just the News writes, Dave Chappelle's 2021 Netflix stand-up special, The Closer, sparked protests from the streamer's uh, uh, own employees over alleged anti-trans jokes. Now the platform is drawing an unmistakable line in the sand, proclaiming a corporate culture that prizes individual creative freedom above the collective ideological discipline enforced by cancel culture. Okay? What does that mean? Netflix, Netflix updated corporate culture memo says the company won't censor specific artists or voices, even material employees, certain employees, bully, woke employees may deem harmful. It says, quote, if you find it hard to support our content breath, Netflix may not be the best place for you, the memo told them not too subtly, as in, don't let the door hit you in the ass. The revelations suggest Netflix, bludgeoned by falling stock prices and a shrinking subscriber base, is declaring independence, at least aspirationally, from the identitarian left's orthodoxies shackling the entertainment industry, perhaps taking to heart a social media meme embraced by the right, get woke, go broke. Elon Musk, now mounting his own bid to restore expressive freedom at Twitter, weighed in on Netflix's woes, suggesting the platform has become unwatchable thanks to a woke mind virus behind uh, content like He's Expecting and the One Day at a Time reboot. He's Expecting. What do you think that's about? That's about guys getting pregnant and having babies. How nuts are these people? Very nuts. I showed you the video of the woman who says she thinks men can get pregnant and have babies. You're insane. You're certifiably insane. You should be committed. You should not be working. You're a dangerous individual. These employees are dangerous. So what's happened? Uh, Netflix appears to be backing up the memo with actions. Nearly 70 contractors writing for the company's left-wing brands, such as the black-centric Strong Black Lead and the Asian-focused Golden, were let go from the company as part of a downsizing effort the company has undertaken over the past several weeks. Uh, Netflix also canceled 
anti-racist baby, an animated take on progressive activist publicist Ibram X. Kendi's book of the same name. He's a complete liar and a joke. As well as Pearl, Meghan Markle's planned animated project focused on young girl who draws inspiration from powerful women. Nico Perino, Vice President of Communications for FIRE, the Foundation of Individual Rights in Education, applauds Netflix for its commitment to free expression. He notes a similar corporate decision made by Coinbase, a cryptocurrency platform, last year. That company's CEO, Brian Armstrong, announced in 2020 that Coinbase will avoid political statements of all kinds. Mass resignations ensued from the San Francisco-based firm. Yeah, no woke people in San Francisco, right? A year later, the company said the decision enhanced its bottom line. Yeah, that goes back to last week's show where I showed you the story that's on WeThePeopleConvention.org about companies who are changing, who are saying, you know, from, from Disney to whoever, that, that we can't keep doing this. It's killing our business, and our stockholders demand that we stick to our business. And then that went to the Project Veritas video, which is on our webpage in the video section, where the employees there at, at Twitter, which Musk is trying to buy, are saying, well, we're communists. We're not capitalists. We didn't care about making a profit. You know, we just cared about ourselves and our feelings, and we don't believe in free speech. Well, yeah, you're going to believe in not having a job real soon if Musk does buy the company because you're all going to be fired, and you should be fired. And then you need to see how, seek help. You need counseling. But then again, since all the psychiatrists are woke, I guess you're out of luck. You're just going to have to be a failure all your life, okay? So here's another example. So we're, we're fighting back at the corporate level, and all of you in corporations need to fight. I'm going to show you a couple more stories of how you're winning, even in places where you don't think you can win. This story came out Monday. State Farm donating transgender books for five-year-olds to schools in Florida. The auto insurance company State Farm is encouraging its agents in Florida to donate books promoting transgenderism to five-year-olds in to their local schools or public libraries, according to an email shared by whistleblower by a whistleblower. The email obtained by the nonprofit organization Consumer Research and shared with the Washington Examiner revealed that State Farm had partnered with the Gender Cool Project, which promotes issues of gender identity in children through various advocacy and public awareness programs to donate a packet of three books to local schools and public libraries. This company, Gender Cool, is its job is to indoctrinate children into a deviant lifestyle. How'd you like to work for a company like that? Wow, what a cool thing. Gender cool. Yeah, the three books, a kid's book about being transgender, a kid's book about being non-binary, and a kid's book about being inclusive contains various descriptions about gender and identity meant to disprove the notion that gender is the same as biological sex and establishes that is therefore changeable. You're going to give this to five-year-olds. Five-year-olds. You're going to use the word inclusive and non-binary and transgender. No. You're, you're just sick commies who are trying to destroy our children so you can destroy our country. The project's goal is to increase representation of LGBTQ books and support our communities in having challenging, important, and empowering conserv conservation 
conversations with children age five, the email said. Oh, wow. Right. We're asking State Farm agents to do that. Yeah. Well, didn't turn out too good. Exclusive. That, that happened on Monday. By Wednesday, State Farm executive apologizes to angry agents, says, we made a mistake with our involvement with gender cool. A mistake, huh? State Farm agents across the country fielded angry phone calls on their mon on Monday from customers who were either threatening to cancel their policies or who flat out canceled them after hearing the news that the company had partnered with Gender Cool Project to donate books regarding transgenderism and gender fluidity to schools in order to increase representation of LGBTQ plus books and support our communities in having challenging, empowering, important conversations with age children age five plus. By the close of Business Monday, after the CEO reportedly heard from more than 2,000 independent State Farm agents nationwide and probably a flood of customers, the company announced that it was ending its partnership with Gender Cool Project, as Red State first reported. But how did this happen? And did State Farm agents know about this partnership and agree with it? Obviously, the Florida agents who received Soto's January email and at least a few other agents across the country were aware of or participated in the program, but more than two dozen State Farm agents I heard from since Monday say they were not aware of the program and were furious that State Farm was involved with Gender Cool. Due to their contractual agreements with State Farm, none of the agents I spoke with wanted their names to be printed. But one female agent from the Midwest said, quote, we are an insurance company who's known to be conservative. That is why this is so, so shocking. I can assure you, I'm on a private Facebook page for agents only that has 4,000 members that 99% of us are beyond pissed. Okay. The, a male agent from the West Coast said the level of the low-level woke employee who wrote this memo has hurt us so badly. We agents are independent and 100% commission paid. In addition to supporting my own family, I have three employees, including two single mothers, and I worry about this harming our business and possibly having to lay someone off. My own sister said that if it wasn't for me, she would change the insurance company immediately. That's how you fight back and win. A third-generation agent in the Southeast said, We are flooding the offices in Bloomington with phone calls, emails, everything, letting them know how bad this is for us in the field. All we agents want is for our companies to fix our insured cars, rebuild people's houses, and be there for our insured when loved one dies and we deliver a check for life insurance. Wow, what a concept. We want the insurance company to be an insurance company. What a great idea. Numerous agents mentioned that State Farm's 100th anniversary convention is about to take place in Las Vegas, and they expect that executives will be bombarded with questions, complaints, and demands that agents have a say in decisions about the company's philanthropic efforts since the agents are the first line of contact for customers, and these philanthropic events are ostensibly undertaken in the agent's names. You think? You think? New ask, right? I asked you about the county and the 4-H clubs to take action. Second ask of the show. Call your State Farm agent. I know lots of you have State Farm as insurance. They're a good insurance company, right? Call them up and thank them for fighting, for pushing back. Thank them for getting this reversed. Second, 
ask them to go to the convention, if they're going to the convention, and demand that the person who wrote this memo and his boss be fired. There needs to be accountability, just like we said at the schools. This action hurts you as an agent. It's going to take your livelihood. They didn't care. They would do anything to forward their agenda, no matter what it costs you or State Farm Insurance. You need to make that case that these people need to be fired because that's not who State Farm is. And they undermine the mission of the company and hurt it financially. If you, if you stole money from your company, wouldn't you be fired? Hell, you should be arrested. How is this any different? The thousands or millions of dollars that State Farm lost in that 24 hours of people canceling your policies, you think they're going to come back now? How long have you lost those people for? Those people cost you money. Make them pay. You watch this podcast, call your State Farm agent. Make that case to them. Okay? All right. We're going to go into COVID. We're going to talk about three lies. Three lies. And we're going to debunk them. Okay? Lie number one. Shots are better than natural immunity. Right? That's all you've been hearing from Fauci, from all these guys. Shots are better than the, 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 the natural immunity. Yeah. Urgent. The most powerful evidence yet that mRNA vaccines hurt long-term immunity to COVID after infection. Yes. Unvaccinated people are much more likely to develop broad antibody immunity after COVID infections than people who have received mRNA shots. A new study shows a bombshell study from the National Institute of Health and Moderna, no less, should end the debate. The research draws, excuse me, the gap remains large whether people had mild, moderate, or severe COVID infections. The study showed undercutting a critical argument that vaccine advocates had made to defend the shots, that if you get the shot, right, you have better immunity than if you're naturally immune. It's a lie. The research draws on data from Moderna's 30,000-person clinical trial for its mRNA shots. It may help explain why so many Americans now suffer multiple COVID infections, sometimes within months, right? We all know people who've been vaxxed once, twice, three times. They're getting COVID again. This is why. <clears throat> Researchers already knew <clears throat> excuse me, that many vaccinated people do not gain antibodies to the entire coronavirus after they are infected with COVID. Unvaccinated people nearly always gain antibodies to the nucleocapsid protein, which covers the virus's core of RNA, as well as the spike protein, which allows the virus to attack our cells. Vaccinated people often lack those anti-nucleocapsid antibodies and only have spike protein antibodies. Okay, scientists from the National Institute of Health and Moderna quietly posted the paper a month ago, but it has received little attention despite how important it is. The research examined the development of anti-nucleocapsid antibodies in people who had been part of Moderna's clinical trial and were infected with COVID. As they expected, the scientists found that the vaccinated people were far less likely to develop the anti-nucleocapsid antibodies. Only 40% of people who received vaccinations had these antibodies, compared to 93% who, uh, 
who had natural immunity. 40 to 93%, but it gets worse or better. The proof gets better. But they went a step further. Because the infected people had been in the trial, their viral loads had been precisely measured when they were found to have COVID. So the researchers were able to compare vaccinated and unvaccinated people who had the same amount of virus in their blood. So that's the comparison you want. Once again, they found that unvaccinated people were far more likely to develop anti-nuclear capsid antibodies than the vaccinated. An unvaccinated person with a mild infection had a 71% chance of mounting an immune response that included those antibodies. A vaccinated person had only a 15% chance. Which is better? Not the vaccine. Lie number one. The vax is not better than a shot. Get COVID naturally and you'll be better off. That's not my opinion. The study shows it. And we'll link to that on our podcast page. Number two. Okay. Lie number two. Vax prevents death. Right? Oh, well, even though they said the vaccine was 97% effective, and now we find it's not even close to that. It's like 15% effective. It, well, at least if you take the vaccine, it'll prevent you from being hospitalized or dying. You'll just have mild symptoms. Uh, no, that was never the case. Never the case, right? But that's lie number two, that, that the vaccine will prevent you from dying. Well, here's a test. In Portugal, there is virtually, there is virtually no one left to vaccinate. They are one hundred percent vaccinated 100 percent vaccinated so guess what if the vaccine works nobody should be dying right nobody should be getting hospitalized they're getting tons of covid because the story before shows that the shot makes you more likely to get it again not less likely okay so portugal's proving that point but here's the other point but nobody in portugal is dying right because when you get COVID after getting the miracle shot, you don't die, right? After all, Pfizer and Fauci and the Financial Times said so. And Pfizer and Fauci and the Financial Times would never lie to you about that, would they? Yeah. Well, despite the no-death mRNA guarantee, people in Portugal are in fact dying of COVID. In fact, about 30 are dying every day, which is equivalent to almost 1,000 people a day in the United States. We're a much bigger country. They're a smaller country. That's why. Okay? The toll is likely to rise further given how quickly infections have taken off. Oh, line number two, right? You get the vaccine, you won't die. Oh, sorry. Sorry. 30 people a day are dying. They're double, triple, whatever vaccinated. Guess what? It's not protecting them. 30 people a day. That's 900 a, m a month. That's 12,000 a year. But they're all vaccinated. It's a lie. Natural immunity is what you need. Okay? And then this one, this one you're going to love. You're going to love this one. Lie number three. Masks stop the virus. Put your damn mask on. Right? Yeah. Well, we knew that was bull. We knew that was a lie. <laughs> but it's worse. It's worse than what we knew. Mask mandates caused more COVID deaths, study alleges. Let me read that again. 
Mask mandates caused more COVID deaths, study alleges. Yeah, listen to this. Mass mandates caused higher, caused higher COVID-19 death rates, according to the bombshell claims made in a new medical journal report analyzing fatality rates across the state of Kansas. The observational study, called the Fogan Effect, a mechanism by which face masks contribute to the COVID-19 case fatality rate, was published in the journal Medicine in February 2022, authored by German doctor Zacharias Fogan. The paper analyzed whether mandatory mask use influenced the case fatality rate in Kansas during the time period of August 1st, 2020 to August 15th, 2020. Kansas was used for comparison because the state allowed each of its 105 counties to decide whether or not to implement mask mandates with 81 counties declining against the measure. So they had a comparative study. The most important finding of the study is that contrary to the accepted thought that fewer people are dying because infection rates are reduced by mass was not the case, summarized the paper. Results from the study strongly suggest that mask mandates actually caused 1.5 times the number of deaths or 50% more deaths compared to no masks. Comprehende? Not only does the mask not help you, but 50% more people died from wearing the mask. How? Why? Listen up. The study also provided a potential reason for the disparity in risk ratio for dying from COVID. A rationale for increasing uh, risk ratio by mandating masks is probably that virons that enter or those coughed out in droplets are retained in the face mask tissue. And after quickly uh, quick evaporation of the droplets, hyper-condensed droplets or pure virons, virons not inside a droplet, are re-inhaled from a very short distance during inspiration. Dubbed the Fogan effect, the series suggests that COVID-19 virons spread because they're smaller size deeper into the respiratory tract. That kind of makes some sense to me, right? You're wearing a stupid mask that doesn't prevent it from coming in. Now you've got virus in you that didn't maybe infect you, but you breathe out and now it's, it's wet and it's, it's on your mask. And as it evaporates, he's suggesting that the virons become you know, pure, that the water evaporates, the virus is there, and now it's right against your face. And so you breathe it in and you're breathing in a, a more intense version of the virus and because it's smaller it goes deeper into your lungs these morons killed people with their un completely unresearched unjustified mask mandates take the damn masks off they're bad for you this is the proof this story will be on our website stop it stop it but oh 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 Monkeypox is on the way. Monkeypox virus appears exactly one year after simulation of such a global viral outbreak at an international biosecurity conference. Isn't that interesting? Put this story on our website, and you guys are pretty interested in that. A lot of you came to look at it. And, and you can read the whole thing, because this guy, 
you know, this attorney, Michael Sanger, uh, you know, did a great job of documenting it. He says, the first ever global monkeypox outbreak happens an exact week predicted in biosecurity simulation a year prior. What a coincidence. The elite media outlets around the world are on red alert over the world's first ever global outbreak of monkeypox in mid-2020, in May 2022, just one year after an international biosecurity conference in Munich held a simulation of a global pandemic involving an unusual strain of monkeypox beginning in May 2022. Got that? They held a simulation last year about a monkeypox outbreak in May of 22, and Shazam, one shows up. Yeah, sounds like uh, what happened, the global monkey outbreaks occurring at exactly the time I predicted by the biosecurity simulation, bears a striking resemblance to the outbreak of COVID-19 just months after event 201, a simulation uh, a simulation of coronavirus pandemic almost exactly like COVID-19. Event 201 was hosted in October 2019, just two months before the coronavirus was first revealed in Wuhan by the Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, Bloomberg, and Johns Hopkins. See a pattern here? See a pattern here? Right? Was coronavirus natural or was it planted? Did it have a political motivation, an economic motivation? Yeah. Monkey virus is next. Well, let me calm you. First of all, monkey virus, monkey pox, A, isn't deadly, okay? It's very mild. B, it's spread by homosexual activity, okay? So this is like AIDS. So if you're not a homosexual, you have no threat of this. You can't get it through breathing air or anything like that, okay? But here's a little story for you you might want to take a look at. We heard from our favorite radio guy, Jim Quinn, in the morning that the CDC has fired their head researcher involved with monkeypox. Because if you look behind this graphic on, on the screen, you'll see this hand picture of, of, of a hand with these boils on it. These, these you know, it, it almost looks like, uh, you know, like a, a boil or, or some sort of an infection of your skin. Well, they brought it to this, they said that this person in Boston was found to have had monkeypox. And, and so, they, you know, media picked it up and look out, monkeypox is the next thing coming, which is not, okay? This person at the CDC was suspicious because there hadn't been any monkeypox and because it's only, you know, really spread and, and not even spread easily through homosexual activity, okay? He didn't believe it. So he went into the archives that the CDC has and found this same picture from like, 10 years ago, of a missionary in Houston. Now, the person in Boston who's saying has this has never left the country. But the, there's a picture that looks just like this of a missionary who had come back to the United States in Houston and had monkeypox. So the guy reports it to his, his boss, the CDC, and says, I think this is these people are pushing something that's not true. This is, this is just a forgery. They just used an old picture. He was fired. And his two assistants were fired. They were both given severance packages with a non-disclosure agreement, but they were fired. Now, again, oh, Tom, you're just tinfoil hat conspiracy 
guy, right? But based on what we've seen, based on what we know, I don't care whether it's Russia, 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 whether it's COVID, whether it's the border, I don't care. We know we can't trust anyone in the U.S. government, not our government, at all about anything they say. And you sure as heck can't trust the CDC or the NIH or anybody else. Okay? So I think they're making it up. I think you have to have the guts to say, we ain't doing this. We're not doing this again. Okay? We're not playing this game. Not putting on the mask. Not getting the panic porn's not going to work on me. Okay? Because we can recognize the pattern. All right. A couple more stories before we get to the end of the show. This is interesting. Shut it down. Radical left wing group draws up battle plans to blockade the Supreme Court. Uh, lenders, leaders encourage protesters to stretch the bounds of constitutionally protected speech. A radical left-wing group is laying plans to shut down the Supreme Court in response to a leaked opinion that overturns Roe v. Wade. The Washington Free Beacon has learned, shut down D.C. is the name of the group, to block, uh, is planning to block streets to join the court to prevent the justices and their staff from reaching their chambers. Organizers acknowledge their operations go beyond constitutionally protected activity, and they reference the likelihood of arrests and clashes with law enforcement during a Tuesday night briefing the Free Beacon monitored. In other words, they had a conference call, and the Free Beacon listened in. One of our goals would be to expand the current political crisis by shutting down the Supreme Court, one of the organizers said. The groups planned the blockade for Monday, June 13th, a day when the court will likely hand down opinions. The Tuesday night briefing included more than 60 activists and was led by four or five organizers, some of whom concealed their identities. The presentation included a detailed tactical plan for blocking access to the court's underground parking garage, which is the primary entry and exit point for employees and justices. The plan calls for demonstrators to obstruct two points near the court on the 2nd Street and 3rd Street spots of A Street, which bisect uh, directly behind the court building. A street, uh, A Street is a residential area, while 2nd Street is a busy commuter thoroughfare. To coincide with the blockade, Shutdown DC is planning a rally in front of the court on 1st Street, which lies between the U.S. Capitol and the court's Marble Plaza. Organized described the rally as a low-risk location in contrast to the blockade, where they're anticipating arrests and skirmishes with police. It is possible we will see many different law enforcement agencies as we've, been, as we've become used to, the organizers said. Several agencies have jurisdiction over the area. None of the organizers made threats against particular justices, but they opened the briefing by warning that their tactics are illegal and readily acknowledge their goal is to massively disrupt the third branch of government. Their goal is to massively disrupt the operations of the Supreme Court. Gee, where have I heard that being something that's a felony and that you could be thrown in jail for a year and a half without a trial? Boy, where, where have I? Oh, 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 the January 6th prisoners who are being charged with interfering with the operations of government by going into the Capitol when they were going to uh, certify the election, except... There was no, they had not met yet. So when they went to the Capitol, there was nothing to interfere with. But, oh, these people are going to interfere with the Supreme Court. Shouldn't they be charged with felonies? Think they will be? Not a chance. Not a chance. Right? Not a chance. Equal justice under the law. We're not a country at all without equal justice under the law. 
guess what? We're not a country. We're a thugocracy. All right. Let me go on to this couple more stories. Uh, this is an interesting little bit, just so you can understand. Bill Gates funneled hundreds of millions to organizations attacking Elon Musk because obviously they don't want the truth being told on any social media platform. They certainly don't want conservatives to be able to organize to stand up against this stuff. So new research reveals that Microsoft founder Bill Gates, formerly the world's wealthiest man, but is not because Elon Musk is, has been donating hundreds of millions of dollars in dark money groups that have been publicly attacking Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk, the current wealthiest man in the world. The report by Breitbart said the Gates Foundation donated to 11 of the 26 organizations that signed onto an open letter last month demanding a boycott of Twitter by its advertiser over Musk's recent purchase of the company. The report comes from the Foundation for Freedom Online, which traced the money from the signatures of the letter back to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So bottom line is Twitter you know, is so valuable to them as a propaganda mechanism that they will do anything, including spending hundreds of millions of dollars to stop Musk from buying it for $44 million, billion dollars, okay? But we'll see what happens here. But just know that these people are not on our side. Bill Gates is not an American. Bill Gates is a globalist who basically is funding a lot of this stuff. He's making all kinds of money off the COVID vaccines and over the, over the pandemics. He's all over this stuff. He's an evil man. This story is no surprise to all of us, but it's good to see. U.S. schools facing mass exodus of teachers who won't return this fall. With the end of the academic year in sight, an overwhelming number of educators are planning to close the book on their teaching careers. Much, much of this stems from post-pandemic classroom behavioral challenges with students and ongoing staff shortages that create excessive workloads for teachers. Many educators who have been, uh, have 25 years or more under their belt are opting to retire, but even less seasoned ones are walking away and choosing a different career path. Back in February, the NEA released a study conducted by GBAO strategies that revealed a startling 55% of teachers plan to leave their profession ahead of schedule. Widespread educator shortages predated the arrival of COVID-19, but the pandemic also served as the last straw for many, kicking off the trend of early departure. Yeah, how many of those over 25-year people don't buy the trans nonsense, the CRT, America's bad stuff? How many of them are sick of being attacked in their schools by ingrates who are, are, who are not, you know, punished? These students who attack teachers, the teacher gets punished. We need a new model. The public school, the public education system has failed completely. Okay. We need to take that money and, and apply it elsewhere because you don't need public schools anymore. There's a thing called the internet, right? And you should have vouchers for everyone, and we should make education a free enterprise, free market system. It's, it's like I always tell the example about the Amish. The Amish hire an 18 or 20-year-old girl who just graduated from K-12 to teach all the kids in K-12. And they get a better education than most of our kids get in our schools. I asked, I asked teachers in the union, what do you need to teach fifth grade math? 
And they'd say, well, you need a, a, a degree in education. You probably have to have a minor in, in math. You probably need a master's degree. You need to get certified. And I would say, no, you need someone who graduated from fifth grade math with an A to teach fifth grade math. That's the truth. We could cut our expenses in education by 60, 70% and get twice as good at outcomes. We need to destroy the public school system. It's a failure. It's not an education system. It's a job program for woke adults who don't want to work and who don't give a damn about kids. That's what it is. I know there's some good teachers. I know many of you who spent your career teaching aren't woke, aren't a joke, believe in education, but you let the unions take your right to teach away. You don't have control of what you teach. You're being indoctrinated to teach garbage. And the evidence is clear. So guess what? Retire from the public schools and start tutoring. Start your own private school. We'll be all better off. Good teachers would make a fortune in a private market. And bad teachers would be working at Starbucks where they belong. I thought this picture was worth showing to you guys. You'll love this. This Somebody sent this to me. It's a college graduate, and on their cap it says, survive college without becoming a liberal. you got to love that. It's a great picture. And I, I tweeted back to the person or texted back to the person. I said, yeah, Hillsdale's graduation caps come with that pre-printed on it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. But again, we're fighting back. And we're winning. These teachers leaving the corrupt public schools is a win for us. Okay? The less kids in the indoctrination camps, the better. I've just given you like five stories we're winning. Here's another one that's highly, you would think, unlikely. Central Florida professor Charles Negi, fired after tweeting, Black privilege is real, ordered reinstated with tenure and back pay. Arbitrator finds no just cause for termination. Negi, UCF administrators, and all university administrators need to get the message that they cannot simply purge or even discipline professors who do not conform to their DEI or DIE, like to call die ideology, that they are imposing on entire university campuses. What a great message and what a great win. Here's the details. The, the treatment of University of Central Florida professor Charles Nagy was one of, if not the, most egregious abuses of power in dozens of cancel cultures cases we've seen. The short version is that shortly after George Floyd's death and in the midst of nationwide protests and riots, Nagy made tweets from his personal Twitter account. One tweet said, it's African-Americans as a group, if African-Americans as a group have the same behavioral profile as Asian-Americans, on average performing the best academically, having the highest income, committing the lowest crime, etc., will we still be, procla be proclaiming systemic racism exists? No, we wouldn't. Second tweet, black privilege is real, besides affirm. Action, special scholarships, and other, besides the firm of action, special scholarships, and other set-asides, being shielded from legitimate criticism is a privilege. But as a group, they're missing out on much-needed feedback. That's a good statement from a professor, right? 
The tweet caused student protests, threats, and administrative retribution, because how dare you tell the truth? How dare blacks have to face the truth? How dare universities have to face the truth about their own racist acts against blacks by not treating them like everyone else? This, there was a, a change.org petition with over 30,000 signature. A Twitter, Twitter hashtag was launched. UCC fire him and trended. And students sent it past a resolution. And there were protests on campus in which the president of the university participated. Nagy, because he was a union member, took UCF to arbitration and was represented by counsel appointed by the union. The arbitrator had issued his arbitration award dated May 16, 22, ordering Nagy reinstated with tenure and back pay. Okay? He got everything back. You can too. Fight this. They have no right to censor you. And they can bully you, but it doesn't matter if you fight back. You are in the right. We are in the right. We are defeating the indoctrinated Marxist, counterculture, anti-American left. We are defeating them. We will defeat them. We just need to keep fighting. A couple more stories and we're done. In big tech, is big tech bum rushing the Supreme Court on censorship? I found this to be an interesting story. <clears throat> I'm not going to cover a lot of it here, but I'll post it so you can read it. But basically, here's what's going on. Uh, in Net Choice versus Paxson, the lawsuit that may determine the fate of free speech on social media platforms has taken a dramatic turn. Just short of two weeks ago, the large platforms, including the likes of Amazon, Google, Twitter, and Facebook, all acting through their trade group, NetChoice, made an emergency application to Justice Sam Alito. This sort of application is familiar in cases involving grave harm, such as an upcoming execution, right? We want the court to stop everything and rule on us. It's an emergency. But this is rarely, this, there is really any risk of such harm or any emergency in this case. Are the platforms trying to bum rush the Supreme Court so as to sidestep the ordinary course of judicial inquiry? The Supreme Court needs to be careful that it's not being manipulated here. The case arises out of the Texas free speech statute that bars the largest social media platforms from discriminating on the basis of viewpoint. In response, the platforms claim their censorship of speech is protected by the First Amendment. Texas counters that they are common carriers, as we believe, which serve as conduits for other people's speech and can be barred, and so can be barred from discriminating on the basis of viewpoint. In other words, the platforms are not being restricted on their own free speech, but are only barred from discriminating against others' free speech. Okay? So that's the case. Big tech doesn't want that, and it's winning, so they're trying to bum rushes to the Supreme Court, bypass the normal time it takes for people to do amicus briefs and, and provide evidence in order to get their way, okay? And so all, they've got all this money and all these NGOs that they fund writing these briefs saying, oh, no, you've got to overturn this ruling, right? Because the, the appeals court have said that the Texas law is good, stands. And, and, the, and the people who, uh, who support the Texas law, like us, have had no time to intervene, interdict. But this is a good sign. They're panicked. They're panicked. Because that law is a great law. It helps get rid of Section 230. Hats off to Paxson, the Attorney General in Texas, and all you guys down there. This is great stuff. 
Great stuff. Okay. So two more things to close with. Uh, the Durham trial of Sussman. I'm very disappointed in this. It's, it's fixed. It's rigged. Uh, you know, the judge has got a conflict of interest. His sister is like the lawyer from, for Sussman's daughter. There's three jurors who gave to Hillary Clinton on the jury. How are you going to get a conviction? I mean, the evidence is there, and there's some benefit to getting the evidence out in court that Hillary Clinton, like her manager Mook said, that Hillary Clinton herself approved the Steele dossier being released, even though it was all bull. Okay, that's good to get out there, but don't expect us to get a favorable hearing in that trial because you can't get a fair trial in Washington. And I hope when we take back the House and the Senate that in the budgets, we defund the Washington courts. I don't think there should be courts in Washington, D.C. Why should you have the most important courts in the land in Washington to oversee the federal government when they're controlled by people who are paid by the federal government? Just disgusting. Okay, disgusting. So that fight still needs to be fought. This fight, we're winning big. 2,000 mules is just taken off. It was only in 400 theaters, and it was in the top 10 grossing movie this week. It would be great this Memorial Weekend for you to take a friend, a family member, go with another couple, and see 2,000 mules. It's in 400 theaters. They're playing it five times a day. In Ohio here, the tickets cost like eight bucks. Support this. This is great. The more people who know about it, the more people who will know that the election system is broke, that their, their vote is being stolen by these people that are putting in these fraudulent votes, and that we got to fix it before this November. That's what we need. Do that. Help out. Send those people this, this graphic, which is on our page also. It's the, people who, it's the people who voted for Democrats who are personally responsible for the destruction of our life, liberty, and prosperity. Never vote for any Democrat in any election. Anyone you know who voted for Biden or any Democrat needs to understand the gas prices, the food prices, the, the, the people crossing the border, the, the, the fake proxy war with Russia and Ukraine, they all own that. If you voted for Biden, you own that. And then send them a link to President Trump's uh, speech at, C at the uh, NRA convention that's at the WeThePeopleConvention.org and let them see what a real president looks like instead of the joke that's currently occupying the, uh, the uh, Oval Office. All right, that wraps it up for this week. I hope you have an enjoyable <coughs> Memorial Day weekend. Please tell other people about this podcast. Send us your comments at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Be sure to go and visit a cemetery and, and just salute the, the, the soldiers that will be sure to be in your cemetery. Here in Ohio, there's lots of civil war even, you know, headstones and other wars. Go to a veterans memorial and, and, and just, just acknowledge their sacrifice because they gave the full measure for us so we could have the opportunities and the life that we have. Don't, uh, don't hesitate. All right? God willing, we'll be back again with you next week, and you'll be back with us. God bless you. God bless America. This is Tom Zawistowski, and you've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. Spot.
for you the quote from Winston Churchill that I put at the end of the podcast each week that you on the on the audio podcast never get to hear, but those who can watch it see it. But let me read it to you because I think it's appropriate on Memorial Day. If you will not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory is sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with the, all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may even be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. That quote's from Winston Churchill. Never forget it. God bless you. God bless America.